guys, welcome to the sixth episode of the All Team Strength and Wellness Podcast. On today's episode, I have Mr. Paul Check. Paul Check is a well-known holistic health care practitioner and owner of the Check Institute. On this episode, me and Paul talked about everything from spirituality and the difference between spirituality and religion to uh, health and nutrition and many other topics regarding metabolic typing and the influence of Rudolf Steiner on Paul as a healthcare practitioner. Um, as always with Paul Check, it was a very informative interview, so I really hope you enjoyed, and I'll talk to you guys next time. You want to uh, finish eating and then just call me back? No, no, I'm ready to go right now. So, Paul, okay. it's, it's, it's absolutely it's an honor to have you on my podcast. I'm so happy. Um, Thank you. Just, just for anyone... Uh, I, I don't think there'll be too many people, but just for anyone who's not familiar with who Paul Check is, just fill us in. Oh, Paul Check's a wild and crazy guy that does things a lot differently than most people, but enjoys his life. I'm a holistic health practitioner, and um, I've been involved in all aspects of athletic conditioning and general health and fitness, as well as orthopedic rehabilitation and body, mind, spirit development for 28 years. And I work all over the world and have about uh, 10,000 Czech practitioners that are studying and practicing my system. And my primary effort is to teach people how to live in a way that's harmonious with the planet as well as achieving their own dreams and how to master their body, their mind, and their spiritual development so that they can create their dreams effectively. How do you find people react to to your methods, like to, to your teachings? Like when you say, I try to make everybody, you know, um, be more with, with Mother Nature and the world, how do you find people react to that initially? Uh, in general, people inherently sense the need for that. Um, I think people have found that um, almost everything that has been so-called scientifically validated has ultimately ended up in producing a lot of uh, ill health and disease and setbacks. And many of the concepts in religion have also created a lot of pain in the world. And I think that people are at a point now where they realize that science, technology, religion, and politics keeps telling us the same old story, but the world's uh, overall situation is getting more and more challenging in every regard. So we've got more scientists, more doctors, more therapists, more preachers, and teachers than ever in the history of men, but we're the sickest and most confused people we've ever been. And I think inherently people are sensing that it's time for a, a reform in the way we eat, the way we live, the way we think, and the way we relate to each other. And so, whenever you get someone speaking, excuse me, speaking a message that's outside the mainstream, there's always going to be people that react out of fear, or people that are addicted to their belief system, and therefore are not open-minded. But in general, what I've found is that my, my message is, is, is generally quite well received because nothing that I'm saying isn't just purely logical and obvious. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 
you know, years ago when I started the Czech Institute, probably uh, 1995, I originally named it the Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology Institute. And at that time, um, market researchers and people that we asked for business consultation suggested that we did not use the term holistic because it was considered to be kind of hippie-like or airy-fairy. And so I switched the name to Corrective High Performance Exercise Kinesiology. Well, 10 years later, we had so many people saying, why do you call it high performance when really what you're doing is more holistic health? (laughs) And holistic health now became far more popular amongst the masses than high performance because hardly anybody really lives high performance. Even when I do lectures around the world at strength coaching conferences and training conferences, etc., I'll often ask, how many of you in this audience right now, so for example, I did a lecture at the Swiss Conference, Society for uh, Weightlifting Injury Specialists, which uh, is a Canadian organization. There was like 500 people in the audience. And I found it interesting that everybody kept asking questions about how to train a world-class athlete or how to... get your, uh, your power clean and, and I, re- I, I was on a panel discussion and I said you know it's interesting to me that you guys are spending 98% of your educational energy to learn information that applies to a very very few people I said, to the audience how many of you in this room right now are training one or more professional or elite level athletes. Only about three hands went up. How many of you are training a a bodybuilder that actually competes in a bodybuilding competition? Only about two or three hands went up. How many of you actually make your living off the average person on the street that has body shape problems, doesn't feel good, is tired all the time, and just wants to look and feel better in their life? 99% of the hands went up. So the point is, my message is a message that gives something for everybody and the truth of the matter is if the people seeking high performance athletics don't incorporate the basic message that I give them then their high performance attempts are really only uh, adding more load to a shaky foundation if you don't eat right if you don't sleep right if you don't drink water if you don't move right if you don't rest adequately but you're taking steroids and training yourself to death, then you're just a one-hit wonder. So you get a trophy and a blown disc in your back. So now what? Then you end up having to come to a guy like me and I have to start all over from the very basics with you. And the thing that I hear from professional athletes all the time is, how come nobody ever told me this before? How come I had to wait till I was seriously injured to hear this stuff? And it's so obvious, this is what I should have been doing all along. And I say, well, our culture is very, very steeped in gold, glitter, and glory, not reality. So really, my message is based on reality. And I think people have reached the point now where they realized all the the shiny stuff doesn't really work that well. Great answer. Paul, something I've always wanted to ask you if I ever got a chance to speak to you was, I heard you uh, once say that your, your mother was a huge influence on your life. And that when you were young, she sent you to study with some um, uh, the monks, the Shaolin monks, was it or? Uh, no, yogi monks yeah. uh, from the Self Realization Fellowship Temple. So they were the monks that studied 
under Paramahamsa Yogananda. Could you just explain what influence that has had on you as a person? Well, first of all, my mother was a Christian scientist before she became a yogi. And though that philosophy gave her great nutrition and support at a time when she was really challenged in her life, you know, she got pregnant with me when she was 16, and shortly thereafter she got kicked out of her house and disowned. And only two years earlier, her mother had died, and one year earlier, her sister had died. So here she was, kicked out of her house, all alone. Then my father took off and left her after she had two more children. So she was 18 with three kids, all alone on the street. So Christian science gave her some support. But as a child, I could see that my mother was really having a hard time with life. She was you know, having challenges with men, she was having challenges with money, and the way she handled her stresses resulted in me experiencing a lot of stress and all of us kids, but when she became a yogi, it was literally like my mother had been reborn. She became much calmer, she was meditating every day, she became much more empathetic and compassionate, not so uh, not so pressured, she, so as though she learned systems for managing her internal self that helped her navigate the world better. And as a child, I saw, you know, I used to hate going to Sunday school because one, nobody could ever answer my questions, and two, um, something inside me just it didn't fit right. Uh, you know, I can give you examples, but I don't think that's necessary. But the reality of it is, is that. I actually became interested in whatever it was that my mother was doing because I saw evidence that it was actually helping her and therefore helping me. So where I used to hate going to Sunday school because it was just like being tortured, now I became interested in going to the temple on Sundays and exploring what was going on over there. And so through... Uh, see, my mother started that when I was 12, so she sent me away to summer camp with the monks when I was 15. So I learned a lot about the importance of exercise. Yogananda was big on exercise. Not that I had any lack of exercise, but I learned from the monks that exercise was an important part of being a healthy spiritual person. It wasn't just something that you do to look good or lift weights better or, or outperform your, your enemies. I learned that food was an important part of, of living a healthy lifestyle. I learned that it was important to have healthy work to contribute to society. I learned that, that everybody is ultimately trying to reach self-realization from any path that they're taking. For example, I'll never forget the first time I went to a self-realization fellowship temple. They began with the prayer, and the prayer began Heavenly Father Jesus Christ Paramahansa Yogananda Sri Yukteswar Lahiri Mahashai Babaji Saints and Sages of all religions we humbly bow to you all and I thought wow this is so different than the Christians where they tell you you should never go to any other church you must follow this book or you're going to burn in hell. You know, nobody can be your savior but Jesus. And all of a sudden, now I was in a 
a temple where everybody was being honored, everybody was seen as an expression of the divine, and that all paths were paths to self-realization, and therefore we should welcome and worship them all, all as part of our family. That had such a profound impact on me that I realized I was now with people that were not just trying to sell something at the exclusion of other people, but were truly genuinely interested in my own well-being. And I learned uh, very, very good techniques for meditating, for self-management, and the monks were excellent examples of very healthy, compassionate, patient, and highly intelligent human beings, which I had not had much exposure to in my life. So, you know, when you're in a summer camp full of, you know, out-of-hand wild teenagers and kids, you really get to learn a lot about a person's temperament. So I saw how the monks handled disputes and fights and arguments and, and misbehaviors. And I saw that they, uh, they were able to use patience and presence where other people used impatience and force. And it made me realize that whatever these people were doing, they had come to be the kind of person that I wanted to be, not the kind of person that uh, I experienced in the school system and in the church system that made me feel very isolated, alone, and even scared. So the benefits of being around the monks and seeing how they could truly put this into practice and how that they were able to handle challenges without it um, distorting their personality. You know, they were, you could consistently trust that they would be a loving, compassionate person, whether you were an axe murderer or a movie star. They didn't treat anybody any different. Nobody was more or less special than anybody else. And their, their philosophy was in, inclusive of everybody and everything in the world, the animals, the of nature, of all life, not just a sectarian approach that made uh, you a sinner and you a savior kind of thing. So that foundation gave me tools to help me learn how to navigate the challenging and painful times in my life, and it gave me a philosophy that allowed me to feel that I had a direct relationship with spirit, that I didn't have to go to a church to get permission from Jesus to talk to God or whatever it might be. It, they taught me that that what God is is everything, that God is everywhere, that you don't have to go anywhere to find God because there's the, the whole universe is an expression of the divine. So it, it took the gap away, it took the middleman away from me and, and, and taught me that you're as close to God as you are to yourself. There's nowhere else to go. As St. Francis of Assisi said, when people kept asking him how to find God in their life, he said, what you are looking for is what's looking. <laughs> this is great. Good. This is brilliant. Uh, for, for so, some, for that's, that's the underlying of the philosophy then. For, for someone like myself, who's trying to integrate and trying to learn, like, is this is only something personally myself over the last few months that I've really tried to learn more about, is spirituality, 
and really what the difference between spirituality and religion and the common team I have seen so far is that spirituality is about you about looking within whereas religions are more like as you said the Christian religion was only Jesus only God you'll burn in hell you're a sinner uh, but spirituality yeah. spirituality from from what I've read is all about it's you first of all you have to look within first how can the ordinary I suppose if there is such an ordinary person but the average person who all they see is what Rudolf Steiner would say just the material world they don't know the esoteric spiritual world how can someone like that like myself I have a very similar uh, background to yourself growing up you know we were Catholics you know told the same story how can I become more spiritual and people similar in my situation well first of all there's many different definitions and interpretations of the word spirituality so I must share what I mean what I was saying Robbie is really that my definition definition of spirituality is taking responsibility for what you create moment to moment or with your choices so you know if we're if we're trashing the planet and burning up fossil fuels because it's our habit or because large corporations have set it up so that we can keep making them rich but we know that we're actually poisoning the planet then we have to go through the ramifications of making that choice if we're not brave enough to ride bicycles be different or drive more fuel economical cars or whatever it might be, then we're not really making any effort to create a world that's more healthy and more whole and more functional. Therefore, we consciously have to suffer the effects of that. And even those of us that do make those changes, if only one in a million makes a change, at least we have the, the peace inside of ourselves of knowing that we did the best that we could to live true to our own um, understanding of what life is a religious person really doesn't have much meaning anymore you, you know as I'm sure you're aware more people have died in religious warfare than any other form of death that ever hit the planet all in the name of God so being religious really just means that you read somebody else's book and, and do what you're told not necessarily that you think for yourself or that you're aware um this is why it's so important when they say never judge a man by the creed he professes but by the life he leads mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but how, how do you think someone can start to be become more spiritual like where like where, where can someone start do you think like like do they read a book should they join a, a group med meditate more well I think the most important thing for a person to really become more spiritual is first and foremost just to understand what that means and really what it means is just to take responsibility for creating your dreams and doing it in a way that is respectful of other people's needs mm -hmm. you know if, if, my, if, if, if you and I are on the same rugby team and my dream is to be um, a professional bodybuilder and I'm using steroids but I don't tell anybody else on the team I'm using steroids and then all of a sudden we all have to get drug tested for a, for a national uh, rugby competition and they find out that I'm on steroids and my whole team gets disqualified then that, would that wouldn't be very spiritual because now I've withheld information that put everybody else on my dream team, my rugby team at risk 
So the, the spiritual person always is considerate of not only what their dream is, but who do they need to have a functional partnership with to create the dream, and how will their choices impact the rest of the people on their dream team. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're in a, a, a husband and wife relationship, the spiritual person is considerate of maybe the fact that if they keep coming home from work drunk and not spending time with their kids or ignoring their wife, that my point is if, if someone lives that way, they're not really concerned about the people on their dream team. They're just totally focused on their own needs or instant gratification. Yeah. But someone who lives a spiritual life can find a middle ground. They might say to their wife, honey, I really enjoy being with my friends um, a couple of nights a week and going out and, and, and getting getting a little buzz on with the boys. How can I how can I do that in a way that still supports you? And she might say, well, you know, I, I really enjoy going out with the ladies and getting a buzz on too. So how about if two nights a week you get to go do your thing and I'll watch the kids. Two nights a week I'll do my thing and you watch the kids and then we'll spend the weekend with the kids together or however. But the key point is moving towards being a spiritual person is really somebody who thinks about creating harmony both in their life and in the lives of the people that are co-creating their dreams with them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's also about being honest with yourself and meeting your own needs. And in my program, I teach what I call the I-We-All philosophy. And that means, first, we must love ourselves effectively. We must care for ourselves. We must feed ourselves, exercise ourselves, do the things that we must do to take responsibility for our own happiness because we can't give something to somebody else that we don't have. It's impossible to love somebody authentically if you yourself feel like you're missing out on what you need, if you're missing your breakfast, missing your exercise time, missing your sleep. So religion keeps telling us to give everything away, to kill the ego. Jesus was a poor man. Don't accumulate riches and all these other variations on the theme. But spirituality says, I've got to give to myself what is necessary for me to be happy, healthy, and stable so that when I'm with you, I can truly be present. So that when I'm with you, I can truly contribute. And before I try to contribute to the all of humanity, I have to take responsibility for loving myself and loving the people in my intimate family and relationships and friendships because they're the people that are closest to me in my support system and I'm closest to them. Mm -hmm. So my system says first cultivate and take love and take responsibility for creating your own peace and when you know how to do that you authentically have presence peace personality and um, you're become an authentic example for the other person then the other person that interacts with you shares in that and learns from your very actions what it looks like to be spiritual as opposed to being told you've got to do this, you've got to do that, follow these commandments. Those are just dictations and control tactics. But if we take responsibility for the fact that nobody can make our life better or more beautiful than we can, mm -hmm. and if somebody else does it, then we just develop an addiction to that person, a codependence and an unhealthy one. So spirituality is really about getting clear on what your dreams are, getting clear about what it takes to 
create and live those dreams and meeting those needs before you start prostituting yourself out to other people and trying to get fake love by doing things for people that aren't authentic. Brilliant. Brilliant answer. I better. <clears throat> my sister has asked me to ask you questions, and I better ask her, or else she'll kill me. <laughs> so, just just moving off our topic of spiritual and religion, this is more of a health orientated question. So, her 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 question is: um, She's had a skin condition. I'm not too sure how to pronounce this, Paul. It's is it Ganola Amler? I can't. I can't impress, but I'll describe it anyway. She says she got it as a child at seven years of age on her feet. It disappeared around five years later, reappeared when she was 20, living in Australia. Cleared up again, but came back two years with a vengeance. As a child, only on her feet, doctors thought it was ringworm. When she was 20, on her rings and her arms and her hips. Doctors don't seem to know what it is. Dermatologists have given her prescriptions. She refuses to take any sort of drug. Basically told there's nothing they can do and it should disappear in a few years. They have said that it is unusual for it to happen more than once. I have been told by doctors they have no idea what this is. Can you offer any advice? Yeah, would you spell the name of the... It's uh, it's G-R-A-N-U-L-O-R-M-A. Granuloma. Granuloma, that's the one. Okay. Um, I, I've speculated a parasite or fungal infection, you know, or something like that. Probably, most likely a fungal infection. Ringworm is a fungal infection. And, and she'd have to, re- like I was saying to her, it's probably a good issue and she'll have to re- heal, repair her gut maybe, or... Say that again? I, I was saying it could be a, a good a good problem. She might have to repair and heal her gut and get rid of the, the, the parasite or the fungal infection. Uh, very, very, very possible. Um... You know, with these things, it's always best to if you, if there's any indication of a fungal infection. For example, uh, athlete's foot, jock itch, dandruff, toenail fungus, fingernail fungus, vaginal yeast infection. Those are all indicators of a fungal infection. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's ever done any course of antibiotics for any reason and has not recolonized the gut is very, very susceptible to a fungal infection because the bacteria, the, the friendly bacteria in our gut compete for space with fungus in the body and the bacteria all over our body. We've got bacteria all over our body and, and, and those bacteria help create a, a living barrier to protect us from other organisms. We're literally walking gardens. So if a person's had any of those types of infections, and or taken antibiotics and not recolonized, it means they are if you've taken antibiotics it kills all the bacteria in your body and there's no there's nothing to compete with the fungus so the fungus just take the body over. Mm-hmm. And if a person's eating more food than they can digest, assimilate, metabolize and effectively eliminate, then they get undigested food particles in their bloodstream and then the funguses and everything can smell that on you and they can sense that on you just like they if you leave on if you if you leave food out on a picnic table it won't be a few minutes before the birds and the dogs and the cats are eating it mm-hmm. well if pe- people eat more food than they can effectively break down and incorporate into their body then it ends up coming out through their skin which is part of the detoxification system and then the funguses just go crazy eating the stuff and once they set up shop on you, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. So anybody that's had dandruff, jock itch, athlete's foot, toenail fungus, fingernail fungus, or a, a vaginal yeast infection already has 
funguses in their system and has to be very, very careful from, for the rest of their life because once funguses get in you, they never go away. You can never, you can never get rid of them because they're everywhere in the environment. Mm-hmm. And once they're in your body, they can, they can basically go into a hibernation state until the next time you eat too many cookies or drink too much soda pop and boom, they just grow like crazy on you and they eat you up. So those types of skin conditions, many people with um, psoriasis and all sorts of strange skin conditions have come to me and once I put them on an antifungal diet and just showed them how to follow the principles in my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, I haven't had a single case yet that didn't clear up. Brilliant. She, um, um, we have that book, so she, she, she's read it a few times, so she's well aware of, of your um, of your philosophy of health and nutrition. So she, so you would just advise her to apply the, the principles in that book? Well, that book, but I'd also have her read the book called The Fungus Link by, by Doug, Doug Kaufman. Yeah, I have that book, so I'll give it to her. Yeah, and it's got a, a very good antifungal diet plan in there, and that's really the, the kind of the Bible for getting over a fungal infection. She could have a parasite infection, but if a person has a fungal infection and a parasite infection, it's almost impossible to get rid of the parasites for any length of time without getting rid of the fungus because the fungal mycotoxins, which are the chemicals they produce mm-hmm. to protect their area, they are, they are not only extremely powerful, but they've been shown by research to modulate the human immune system. They actually trick the immune system confuse it and even shut it down. So if you've got a fungal infection, you will never develop enough immune integrity to get rid of parasites. I've seen people with fungal infections and parasite infections do five or six rounds of extremely uh, strong medical drugs to kill parasites, and they get over their symptoms for a week or two, and then they're all back with a vengeance. And what I found is if you get rid of the fungal infection, and follow the principles in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, your body gets strong enough and balanced enough and it normalizes the immune system that you can then get rid of the parasites effectively. So the answer is, go after the fungal infection first, follow those principles that I'm teaching in my book and that, I'm, and that Doug Kaufman recommends, and if there are still symptoms left, it should then be investigated as a potential parasite problem. Great stuff. I have another question from another listener. Um, uh, her question is, ask Paul the best method for looking after my body in terms of fertility. Need advice on post-ectopic uh, pregnancy. One fallopian tube and the best foods I can go with in terms of where I'm starting from. I am a smoker and my diet is full of a lot of sugar and regular exercise. My stomach is also bloated. I eat a lot of veg but, but, but manage to lose weight but I always feel bloated in my stomach. Okay, well, the most common cause of bloating in the stomach is gluten intolerance. Mm -hmm. So my advice would be to remove all nuts, grains, and seeds completely out of the diet for at least seven days and see how the gut responds and if the swelling goes down. Mm -hmm. And then all sugar should be replaced with natural sources. So switch from commercial-based sugar products to natural based sugar products. So go from white table sugar to raw honey or to stevia uh, as, a, as a sweetener because it helps balance blood sugar. Um, use fruit. Use anything you can use that's got life force in it and nutrition in it and 
get away from any form of sweetener that's just sweet but does not have nutrition in it. Sugar is extremely acid, so it acidifies the body, and it also um, very strongly feeds fungus and bacteria, and it attracts them to the body. Mm-hmm. So uh, getting the sugar switched out to natural sources is the first step. Going cold turkey off of white sugar is very hard to do because white sugar is as addictive as morphine or heroin. It's actually considered a class one drug by Candace Perp who is a, uh, you know, an expert in the manufacture and development of drugs, she literally says it should be illegal because it's as addictive and as dangerous as morphine and heroin. Jeez. So getting the nuts, grains, and seeds out of the diet is very critical because not only is gluten a problem, and, and all grains except corn, rice, buckwheat, and millet have gluten in them with rare exceptions, but seeds, nuts, and grains all have what are called phytic acids or phytates. Mm -hmm. And phytic acids are in the nuts, grains, and seeds to stop them from sprouting until there's the right amount of water, the right amount of warmth, and the right combination of nutrients in the soil to give the seed a chance to survive and become a plant that produces and lives. The problem is, is whenever you eat nuts, grains, or seeds that have not been soaked for at least 8 to 12 hours to deactivate the phytic acids, the phytic acids are enzyme blockers. They stop the enzymatic process that triggers the sprouting and life in the seed from happening. So the water, the temperature, and the environment are the factors that break the phytic acids down. So when people are eating nuts, grains, and seeds of any type, if they don't have a very strong... uh, a a healthy strong digestive system as soon as you eat that so if you're eating bread for example you're eating phytic acids the cooking does not break them down they have to be broken down in water for at least 8 to 12 hours so the first thing to understand is that if you're eating nuts, grains and seeds you're eating a source of food that has an acid in it, a chemical in it that shuts down your own digestive enzymes and disables your digestive system, which then makes you very susceptible to parasite and fungal infections because they come to eat up all the stuff you can't digest effectively. Mm-hmm. Remember, there's an old saying, you are what you eat. You heard that one? I have. Well, remember, this one's equally true. You are what you don't excrete. Very true, yeah. So whatever you can't digest gets trapped in your body, then the decomposers, the funguses, and the parasites come to eat it up. And that causes inflammation in the body and leads to all sorts of other problems. And the gluten, if the immune system can't handle gluten, which about 50 to 60 percent of white skin people can't, the immune system actually attacks the gluten in the small intestine and inflames the gut, which causes the gut wall to leak, which then floods your body with undigested food particles and overexcites the immune system. And that makes people tired when the immune system turns on. It requires so much energy to run it and the body's only turning the immune system on because it believes it's got to protect you from something invasive so it makes the body very tired but because people are repeatedly triggering their immune system to turn on by eating all this garbage food and foods that don't work for their body they're constantly tired all the time so their two drugs of choice to fix that is sugar and coffee they think they're just tired and they didn't sleep very well they don't realize that their immune system's turning on and making them feel that way so they'll hold still and heal. Mm. So as they get further and further into the coffee 
and sugar cycle, they not only exhaust their adrenal glands and deplete themselves of nutrients and resources, they keep feeding the very pathogens that are giving them the problem and eating the food that made them tired in the first place. So to get out of this cycle, one's got to identify what are the offensive foods, and it's best to start with the most commonly offensive foods first. So that's all nuts, grains, and seeds, and dairy. Remove all dairy for seven days. You can use butter or clarified butter, which is ghee, because it's got almost no protein in it. The immune system reacts to protein. It doesn't react to fats and carbohydrates because there's no nobody's ever been killed by a banana or a uh, an avocado uh, or something fatty. Everything that will, will injure a person in, in, in a, as a natural organism is protein based viruses, bacteria and parasites are all protein based organisms so the immune system is much more concerned about protein based organisms point being is if you're eating clarified butter there's no protein in it so even a person who is dairy intolerant could probably use ghee without any negative effect so the, taking the dairy out of the diet and getting the nuts, grains, and seeds out of the diet because they're the most common things that trigger the immune system in people's diets. It allows the inflammation to clear and allows the body to reset itself and it allows the individual a chance to see how they look and feel after seven days. Then you can introduce one of those items at a time. So if you want to drink milk, try it one morning with breakfast, but use milk with something you know for sure does not give you a problem. For example, if bacon and eggs does not give you any problem and you've done your seven-day challenge diet without the nuts, grains, seeds, and dairy in it, have one glass of milk or whatever you want with your bacon and eggs. In other words, one or two or however much milk you want to drink, but monitor if you get any negative symptoms such as swelling of the abdomen, gassiness, bloating, headaches, fatigue, and to the degree you get any symptoms, it means you need to stay off of that food for at least three more months. Mm-hmm. Recheck it in three months. If you still get problems, you got to go another three months. If you go six months and you still have problems, it means you usually have developed so many antibodies against it that your immune system is now going to try to protect you against it for the rest of your life. Okay. So 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 basically just, just go on that elimination diet for a week and see if that takes care of her bloated stomach. Yeah, if she's got my How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy book, she would be wise to follow the rotation diet in there to the T, but incorporate the suggestions that I just made. But I would say that 95% of the people that come to see me from all over the world have a case history almost identical to what you just described. I've seen more cases like that than you could possibly count. Mm-hmm. Uh, she recently just had a, a very... Um traumatic uh, uh, she, she had she gave birth to a child but she lost the baby so that, that's what that was her question too she wants to know what foods can she do to heal herself but you're basically saying eliminate all the negatives and then just eat real food for, and then follow the principles in your book well yeah go to organic food for sure you, you know you want to find organic and or good quality locally farmed foods avoid any of the typical supermarket commercially farmed foods because they're so toxic she'll never get enough nutrition and resources, not to mention the fact that they're very void of nutrition. Mm-hmm. On average, organic, properly grown organic foods about four times more nutrient-dense than commercially farmed food. Um, uh, just to highlight the point, uh, five or six years ago when I was lecturing in England, 
found a, a research report where they looked into um, how much nutrition loss there was in food due to deficiencies in the soil and they showed the nutritional value of one head of lettuce 50 years ago from England and then they showed the nutritional value of a head of lettuce today in England and the research showed that you would have to eat 20 heads of lettuce to get the same nutrients as one head of lettuce 50 years ago. That is crazy. So my point is if your sister's eating whole foods but they're coming from commercial sources She's eating foods that have been sprayed with huge amounts of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, often have been stabilized with gases like ether in the, in the bilges of ships to make long journeys to stop them from ripening till they get to the store. They've been farmed on depleted soils. So, you know, research shows that the average piece of produce that makes it to our plate has traveled 1,500 miles by truck, train, sea, or railroad. So if you look at what you're buying, you're not saving any money at all. You're not only getting food that's got very low nutrition, but it's very imbalanced and very toxic food. So the first step towards healing anything is giving your body high-quality food to eat so that it has bioavailable resources, and by following the rotation diet plan, it ensures that you get a wide variety of foods, which gives you a variety of nutrient sources. Mm -hmm. So... Those are the critical foundational aspects of healing. And just by following, you know, by doing the questionnaires in the book and following the book as it's laid out, she'll do fine. I would say 95 to 98% of all the people that hire me as a consultant call my office. And the first thing I say is, have you read and followed my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, for at least four to six months? Most of the time they say no. I say, look, I'm going to charge you $500 an hour to sit in my office and I'm going to read that book to you and teach you how to do it because that is the basis of healing and there's nothing I can do for your disease or your problem until you at least have a basic foundation that allows healing to happen. So many of those people will be very grateful and say, my God, thank you. I had no idea that I could do that. And then they'll call me back up four to six months later and say they're fine, they don't need my help anymore. And then the ones that have more serious problems go ahead and book an appointment with me and then I can take them beyond that. But, you know, for $25, you can buy that book and get my, my audio book, You Are What You Eat, which tells you all about the things you need to know how to shop for food, prepare food, store food effectively. So for, for, for you know, a very small investment, a person can get the basic training they need to how to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's really the beginning of all healing. No matter, you know, my philosophy is I don't treat the disease that has the person. I coach the person that has a disease. Mm -hmm. Paul, In other words, chasing symptoms is chasing symptoms. But until you address the behaviors that created the symptoms, you're never going to get healing. You're just going to be a receptacle for drugs. Mm -hmm. it's brilliant stuff. And I totally agree with everything you said. Paul, I, I'm currently taking the metabolic typing course, but um, you've often intrigued me with, with your take on metabolic typing. You talk about you can go from a protein type to a carbohydrate type very easily. Can you explain this? Yeah. Um, if you look at my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, there's diagrams in there showing basically how the Krebs cycle works. And at the top of the diagram, you can see things like weather, menstrual cycle, stress that are all modulators so for example um, 
Robbie, have you ever noticed that after a heavy weightlifting workout, you crave a lot more animal flesh? Protein, yeah. Yeah, right. So, but if you were out, say you were on a trip traveling and going to visit some friends and you had to be on the road for five days and didn't get a chance to work out at all, you would notice that you don't crave near as much animal flesh. You might eat it out of habit, but you don't actually have nearly the craving for it because the the stress of exercise breaks down so much flesh, so much protein, that the body needs bioavailable protein to repair it. When we're under mental-emotional stress, we use up a huge amount of neurotransmitters and catecholamines and hormones, all of which are based on, out of, built out of amino acids. So to the degree that our diet and lifestyle, or excuse me, to the degree that our, our, our our lifestyle and the and our internal world is stressful, then we use a lot of resources and our body needs specific resources and none of us is the same. We're as different on the inside as we are on the outside. In his book, Biochemical Individuality, Roger Williams showed that there could be a 1,000% difference in the functional capacity of the liver in people in the same family. In other words, if you and I were brothers, you might be able to drink 10 bottles of beer and not even get drunk, and I might get drunk on one because your liver could be that much stronger than mine. So the key point here is that there is no such thing as a diet that works for all people. It's just impossible because we're radically different, even within our own families. So my approach is to use challenge tests and experiment on a daily basis until you learn how to listen to your body's needs in the same way you feel the urge to eat more animal food after heavy weightlifting, you can also feel the urge, as I'm sure you're aware, in the summertime when it's hot out, don't you also have the urge to eat more foods like salad and fruit? Mm, yeah. Because they carry more water and more of the types of nutrition that we need to do well in a hot environment, but fat and protein helps us in a cold environment. So if you look at the, the many factors that affect our dietary needs from mental emotional stress to physical stress to environmental stress, you will see that if you watch carefully and, and uh, experiment with yourself, you could literally be eating as a protein type after hard rugby training or weightlifting, and then two days later after a little break actually do best on a carbohydrate type diet because you don't have so much protein being broke down and your body needs other forms of nutrition that only come by way of plant source foods so the secret is not to get addicted to any one prescription but to develop a, an intimate relationship with your body and pay attention to what it feels like when you need more animal food or when you need more carbohydrate and the way to develop that understanding is do a challenge diet. So eat as a vegetarian for a day and see what changes inside of you. So even if you're a great big muscly bodybuilder, if you're on a vegetarian diet for one day, you might really have an interesting surprise. You might go, my God, my head's more clear, my joints ache less, and I have more energy. What a shock. I thought I needed all this animal food. Well, write that down. But the key thing is, that same feeling, if you do that for five days in a row, could go away, and now all you do is crave animal food all the time. 
after you do a challenge test as a vegetarian, then try eating nothing but meat all day and see what happens. You might notice you get constipated. You might notice you get tired. You might notice that you have tons of energy and you feel better than ever. The key thing is to pay close attention to what it feels like to live only off of animal flesh or fish. And how is that different than the feelings you get from the carbohydrate or plant food based diet? And then through this process, do that three or four times, then you start being aware, geez, now I know what it feels like when my body wants more meat because I ate as a vegetarian for two or three days and I could really feel my body's desire for meat and I could also feel what it felt like when I gave it the meat. Then by eating only meat for a few days, you become essentially carbohydrate starved and you start feeling the benefits of the meat, but you also feel what's missing in your diet. And by going through that process, you actually learn to hear the language of the body. You know when your body's saying, I'm hungry for flesh foods, I need protein, I need fat, I need warmth, I need structure. And then you learn what it feels like when the body says, I need liquids, I need vitality, I need living food, I need salad, tomato, carrots, I need something with life force and energy in it. You know, people forget if a food is more dead than you when you eat it, it takes energy out of you to convert that into human tissue. Your body is alive, so if you're eating microwaved, packaged crap that lasts for a year on a shelf, you've actually got to re-enliven that with your own enzymes and your own life force, which is why people get so tired after eating. So if people are eating just cooked meat all the time, they can become very deficient in life force or living nutrition. So by doing this eating experiment, you learn to feel the benefits and the quality of nutrition and how it affects your body when you're eating fat and protein. Sometimes I have people do nothing but eat peanut butter all day because it's almost pure fat. And it's amazing how they learn that it's almost impossible to eat too much fat because if you eat too much it'll make you sick. You just cannot possibly overeat fat. The question is the quality, not the quantity. So by doing these things, an individual starts to develop an inner relationship and learn how to listen to their body. Most people make food choices based on their mind and what other people say in the media and what they read out of books. But there's nobody in the media or writing books that has the same liver, kidneys, colon, hormones, nervous system, and genes that they do. So that's my approach. Paul, you talk about eating food that's alive. What's your take then on, on meat? Because vegans, well, vegans would say that it's dead, so why do you eat it? Would you recommend raw meat then? Well, I recommend cooking meat as minimally as you can to kill surface bacteria and any parasites. But of course, the source of the meat is the most critical thing. We can't even just talk about meat in one word anymore. You've got to separate commercial meat from organic meat because commercial, remember all animals bioaccumulate toxins. On average it takes about six pounds of vegetable matter for an animal to make one pound of animal flesh. So if an animal's eating six pounds of toxic corn that was sold to the farmers cheaply because it was too poison to use in the human food supply, which is largely what they're doing, that animal's going to bioaccumulate all those toxins into its flesh. So when you eat that animal, you're getting a lot of garbage and therefore what I'm saying is if you eat two steaks both of them minimally cooked 
so that they're maximally alive, but one's commercial and one's organic, the life force of the animal determines how much life force there is in the food. So if you get life force with toxins on one hand from a commercial source and you get a better, healthier animal with no toxins from an organic source, now when you're eating the food, you're eating something that's alive. But the, the food, if you kill an animal, yes, the animal stops breathing. But as you know, that food is still alive. There's still energy in it. You can actually measure that with electrical instruments. There's many tests on that. But each day that it sits in the refrigerator, it dies even more. So the point at which food spoils is the point at which the life force in the food has dropped to the point that the organism can no longer maintain its own structure and identity. In other words, a piece of steak sitting around until it starts to rot and stink has now lost its own structural identity and can no longer maintain itself. It's being decomposed into something other than a cow. It's being decomposed into what will ultimately become organic matter in the soil. It's falling apart. So if you take, you know, for example, if you go to a sushi restaurant and eat sushi, you're eating fairly fresh raw fish if it's a good sushi restaurant. And that fish was alive maybe two days ago, so there's still a lot of vitality in that fish, but every minute that goes by without its heart beating, its vitality leaks out because it does not have anything to replenish the resources that keep that as a living organism. So it basically goes into a hibernation state and then it um, breaks down. So the concept of whether something's alive or dead, I mean, I could easily say to the vegans, well, when you ate that tomato, it was dead too because you picked it off the vine, so its source of life is gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? That game goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So the reality of it is, is can you eat foods as fresh as possible, which means you have to shop more frequently? Can you buy high-quality foods? And if you look at the book Pottinger's Cats, he showed very clearly that cooking food diminishes the nutritional value in the life force to the point that it causes serious health problems in animals within one generation. And by four generations of feeding cats processed foods, they became extinct. So what Pottinger proposed was that cooking food causes a germ spore injury. And a germ spore injury in old medical terms means an injury to the DNA. So we can't effectively replicate ourselves if the food we're eating is of such low quality that it can't actually become human tissue. We've got to convert everything we eat into human flesh. So the point that I'm making is there's always a scale of freshness and there's always a scale of cleanliness and there's always a scale of vitality. But to return back to our optimal level of health, we've got to shop more frequently and we've got to shop from sources that have good food and clean food and we've got to minimally prepare our food so that we're not torturing the food in the preparation process. And typically I find if people get a balance of about 50% cooked foods and 50% raw foods, it gives them an adequate amount of both types of nutrition to maintain quite a healthy body. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Paul, I don't want to keep it uh, uh, much longer, so I'm just going to ask another maybe two questions. 
Um, Ru- Rudolf Steiner. The first time I heard about Rudolf Steiner was from one of your talks at the uh, Price Pottinger Foundation, and uh, and subsequently bought a few of his books, and it just blew my mind. Like it just, yeah. It was like a light switch. You're like, oh my god, this guy makes so much sense. Can you just, yeah. can you just explain, like, um, not so much explain, but what influence has Rudolf Steiner had on you as as a as a holistic practitioner? Well. Uh, a massive amount. I've probably got 170 of his books in my library. I believe I've read 18 of them cover to cover and then used the rest of them for research. Uh, but I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying Steiner's material. One, Steiner bridges the gap of science, technology, spirituality, um, education, and healthy living better than anybody I've ever seen and more authentically Steiner really gave me a more advanced understanding of the interrelationships of body, mind and spirit as well as body systems and how we relate to the cosmos to the stars, to the earth how everything really is part of one beautiful unfolding there really is no division what we call God is not something out there and we're over here everything is an expression of the divine if God means prime source first source so as a metaphor if God was cookie dough then everything in the universe would be some variation of cookie dough so looking for God outside of you is to is to completely misunderstand what God is so Steiner was really quite good at, at explaining that life is God's self-expression and we are part of that and he also is you know he's the founder of biodynamic farming he was probably the greatest genius on farming technology that ever lived and so Steiner showed how whatever we do to the soil we do to ourselves whatever we do to nature we do to ourselves whatever we do to ourselves we do to nature because we're an expression of nature So how he's impacted me is more than anyone in sound, logical, and even scientific terms. He bridged the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the outer world, and the inner world into a working system that was not only obvious, but it was intelligent. And final question, what did you eat today? Uh, I just had, uh, for breakfast, I had... um, uh, a, a mix of um, uh, broccoli, kale, um, onion, um, a little bit of ground lamb, and carrot that was uh, uh, stir fried, if I remember right. Sounds very nutritious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, Vidya cooks for me and. She, you know, she's a, a very skilled uh, chef and studied, uh, you know, the Vedic system of healing and, and knows how to cook in, in the Vedic healing principles. My wife's a very good cook as well. And we, you know, we all are very, very uh, committed to living what we teach so that we, um, you know, so we can have authentic experience. And it's not just ideas that we're swapping, but. I typically, uh, I range. Some days I'll eat vegetarian for a meal or, or two, and then I'll have a, 
meat meals. You know, I did a year straight of vegetarianism just because that's what my body needed and wanted. Then I did a half a year of just fish and eggs as my protein source other than vegetables. Then my body wanted to go back to a variety of meats, so I'm back there now. When I was a kid, my mother introduced me into Self-Realization Fellowship. I did a period of being a vegetarian, but my body needed more animal flesh, so I had to start eating it for health reasons. So I really try to just eat as much high-quality, unprocessed, minimally processed food as possible and just let my body guide me to what it wants so I'm feeding my body I'm not feeding my um, ideas <clears throat> Paul where can people find out more information about you and your courses uh, the, the, there's two two or three places one for, for products books audios and things like that you can go to checkconnect.com so that's C-H-E-K sorry checkinstitute.com C-H-E-K institute.com for a lot of my um, media, free media articles and things like that, it's chekconnect.com, checkconnect.com. That's my social media site. Yeah. For my teachings in self-management and spiritual development, you can go to ppssuccess.com. That's personal, professional, spiritual success. And that's got my, my, uh, my mastery program with... Uh, a lot of my teachings about you know how to integrate yourself into the spiritual life and how to have how to you know identify what your dreams are and how the mind functions how how our brain how our minds are programmed how we can heal our mind viruses and our faulty belief systems and things like that. That's brilliant, um, Paul. Once again, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy and I really appreciate it. Uh, guys, that's the end of this podcast. I really, really hope you enjoyed it and I will talk to you next time.